Hey guys, it is Amanda and Barron, and we are back again with Kicking Cancer Cares. Our sponsor for this half is Marianne McNally. She is a residential real estate specialist with Next Home Realty Connection. So if you are looking to buy a home, sell a home, not sure where to start, but you want to get that process rolling, um, or you just have questions, give her a call. She can be reached at 503 409 4389 and then also continue to keep her in your prayers as you guys know she's going through her own battle well last week celeste last was a pretty good cliffhanger oh yeah well i think i kind of left this time with the cliffhanger <laughs> <laughs> so i want to circle back to that comment and that that quote and then see what dean's thoughts here but dr carolyn leaf again she has a book called think and eat yourself smart if anyone goes to kicking-cancer.org that's our website and under resources click books you'll see this book there if you ever want to order this book but she says that you are free to you are you are free to choose you are not free from the consequences of your choices right your thoughts here dean well yeah i you know without going too crazy on the freedom you, you yeah people can do whatever they want to do um you know in my residency, I had one professor um, say our jobs as physicians was just to let people do what they wanted to do, and then we had to fix them. And then I had another professor who was very into preventative and said, well, we should try to educate them and try to get them to do the right thing and maybe even uh, coerce them or force them into doing the right thing. So there is, um, but I do fall in the category of people should be able to choose, but the problem is there there is too much uh, base between what is important and good to choose and the knowledge that people have and how to choose that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because most people don't even understand the photosynthetic, the photo, photosynthetic process that creates carbon in the soil, that creates microorganisms that stimulate cycle, um, nutrient cycling, which causes mineralization, which causes the health of the food to go up, the nutrient density, and causes the bricks to um, go up, which causes resistance to insects and uh, diseases of the plants, and therefore they're healthier. I, people don't even have those kind of that knowledge to be able to make the proper choices. So what she says is absolutely correct, but most people don't even come close to scratching the surface to have that understanding of how to make those choices. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this information is withheld from... Um the public. We don't know a lot of this stuff. We don't know how bad what we're putting in our body. And so what we don't know, we're just kind of oblivious to. Yeah. Well, I found another magazine, uh, The Science of Nutrition. Okay. Um, and we can delve more into this in future episodes. But at the very back, they have a really interesting chart. And I thought that Dean might have some thoughts on this chart. Uh, what it says is that our palates have shifted from fats... And again, fat's not a bad word. It's good fats. And Dean talked about that. But our palates have shifted from fats to sugars over the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. And since 1970, we are getting 78% less calories from milk. Really? So one cup of milk contains four grams of saturated fat, 23% of the U.S. recommended allowance, except that's 78% less than it was 50 years ago. Okay. So, Dean, why why do you think milk has less nutritional value than it did 50 years ago? Well, it has less nutritional value for m- multiple reasons. And one is because, again, 50 years ago, still a high percentage of the uh, dairy cow's diet was pasture, which is that 
the green forage that the ruins were supposed to digest, which um, were raised in um, more natural processes rather than um, chemical fertilizers and herbicides and pesticides to keep the pastures weed-free, so that, therefore, they were ingesting a much more balanced um, salad bar rather than um, monoculture-only one type of grass and because it grows the best right there on that particular pasture. And so so they had a much more diverse diet, much more chemical-free diet, plus they were eating green um, living plants, which allows their rumen to produce all the healthy um, nutrients that we just touched on, two of those. And so that's nowadays the cow rarely leaves the barn. Ninety-six percent of all milk produced in America is produced in confinement dairies where the cow is, if it's if it's in free stalls and then it goes into a milking room and it comes back out and goes to the free stall so it can eat some more food that's been ground up and it's, you know, high-octane, what I call high-octane fuel because the cows have to produce a ton of milk for the dairy farmer to even make slight profit for their 100 pounds of milk they're getting paid on. Uh, so it's the cycle that we have created and one of the reasons we created this is way back when when land-grant universities were set up one of the reasons was one of the mandates was that they needed to you know do research on producing high production and lots of cheap food and so we are very good in america producing lots of food that's cheap where we we never concentrate on producing high quality food that's good for us well, here's here's some other statistics to back up what you just said, Dean, because there's there's a phrase Amanda has this confused, puzzled, and slightly angry look on her face right now, but they're called CAFOs. They're contained animal feeding operations, mm-hmm. and like Dean was saying, we have we have literally figured out how to industrialize food at at the inhumane expense of animals. That's not how animals were supposed. to God never said that you couldn't eat a cow. He just said you shouldn't treat cows like that. Right. Um, but now beef has 29% less caloric value than it did in 1970. Not in 1970. Um, eggs have 21% less. Butter has 8% less. All these, whether it be the milk or the beef or the eggs, all of these products of animals have less caloric value than they did in 1970. Yeah. Except guess what's up a lot? Sugar. Yeah. Except sugar by itself, uh, they have found ways to create synthesized sugar. Right. Corn began being subsidized. We get 198% more calories from corn products than we used to. Whoa. And one corn product is high fructose corn syrup, Mm -hmm. which is 8,853% more calories than it was 50 years ago. Whoa. Tell me the danger of high fructose corn syrup, Dean. (laughs) Oh, he laughs. (laughs) Well, it's it's really just, it's the poison that we all um, have a hard time avoiding. I mean, I actually... My wife probably gets sick of me saying, I go, ooh, um, this has a lot of high high fructose corn syrup, and I don't think we should eat that. You know, because I I hate this stuff because I know the damage and effects that it has on it. It's not a natural sugar. It's not um, like eating local honey or anything else that you could use of that um, 
to sweeten stuff. It is a highly manufactured product that causes huge spikes and huge metabolic um, issues when it comes to con- trying to control the blood uh, glucose level in your in your bloodstream, which everyone knows because of pre-diabetes and um, diabetes type 1, diabetes type 2. People know the destructive nature of too much glucose flowing through your bloodstream and because high fructose corn syrup because of the way it's manufactured and where it's derived from is one of the worst things that causes prolonged um, raises in your, uh, elevations of your glucose level. So it's just, I could go on, but the details, everyone's, if they just know diabetic issues and why those are um, such problematic is the same reason why we don't want high fructose in our diet especially knowing that the amount of calories that we get from high fructose corn syrup has gone up 8,000 times, as I think you just said. But I don't know exactly those numbers, but those that's crazy. Yeah, so the, the uh, number from the magazine, and this is just a, it's a Time magazine uh, special issue on the science and nutrition, from 1970 to now, 8,800% more caloric intake from high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, that's um, what Dr. Leaf talks about, because there's a section here that talks about high fructose corn syrup, um, and she says fructose can cause up to seven times more cell damage than glucose because it binds its cellular protein seven times faster. It even releases more free radicals, which can cause dance- cancer. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's, that's all the stuff that, yes. Yeah, and, and the other thing she talks about in the book is that high fructose corn syrup blocks this receptor in your brain that tells you that you're full. So you're eating a meal, and there's too much on your plate, and you go, I'm full. I'm going to stop eating. That's what your body's supposed to tell you, except high fructose corn syrups blocks that part of your brain that's telling you that you're full. So then you just keep consuming, which is not why we now have 10-year-olds that are morbidly, clinically morbidly obese. Yeah. Because they're full, but they don't know it because there's so much high fruit. Course, like Dean said, this is this is the devil poison. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's awful. It's awful stuff. And yeah. <laughs> and the reason they're using it is because it's so cheap. It's a cheap. I, I remember how you phrased it, Dean. But basically, they found a way. They engineered a way to make the food process less expensive to create food-like products, and high fruit corn syrup became a sweetener that was less expensive at a very dangerous price. Mm-hmm. Just the other day, I have I went, and so normally I will do, when I do fried chicken, I do it all myself and homemade and do the whole shebang. And I was so exhausted the other week, and it was like, you know what, I'm just going to buy a bag of chicken strips that I just put in the air fryer, chop them up and put in, you know, there's their fried. And it was like, the, it's, it was a lazy way also. So not only is it cheaper, but it's lazy, so it's quick, it's easy, convenient. So they, they try to make it, and I mean, even people like me, that is, I'm pretty aware of what I put in my body, not as much as I should be, but I'm getting better as I learn more. Um, but they make it so easy, quick, and convenient yeah. that it's hard to say no to sometimes. Well, there are, there are quick tips and maybe Dean would have a few of these for us. But uh, the last part I want to make sure we get to in the book is, again, there's three sections. So the last section is called Beat It. So first we admit it, 
and she has seven chapters that describe what's going on in the United States. Then she talks about how to quit it. But the last part is how do you beat it? And and she has 12 tips, but I want to hit the first tip, and I want Dean's thoughts on a couple of these. The first tip is to develop a real food mindset. And it's unfortunate that she had to put the word real in front of food. Mm-hmm. But the first one is, so there's there's 10 things that she is recommending for this real food mindset, Dean. The first one is, it is largely whole and unprocessed, and all, quote, processing, such as roasting, baking, and preserving, should be done in the kitchen. Oh, well, here's here's the fact with um, the... Uh, the intake of any kind of food substances. If you are, if you can have a mindset that you're going to buy local, then you know that it hasn't been somehow modified to preserve longer just to make the shipping process. And so that takes you into one step um, closer to having a healthy food choice, you know, just buying local from where you're at. And the reason, one of the reasons I brought up the strawberries is because if another thing that I try to tell people is eat what's in season. Our body will certainly do those circadian rhythms that allow us to have um, nutrient intake according to the seasons. So if you're eating um, out of season, that means you're shipping in food from a long ways away. And if you just learn to eat what's in your local area in season, you're going to have uh, better choices and you're going to have fresher choices and your food is going to be healthier for you. I don't know if that answers the question directly, but those are just thoughts that popped into my head when you began to um, talk about uh, that first step. So. Well, that the thoughts popping in your head match exactly what Dr. Carolyn Leaf is saying because another point she has is that, again, to get this real food mindset, it should be predominantly local, fresh, and varies according to the seasons. There you go. So, so if you're going to have fresh food, it should be local food. Within the season. Within the season. Mm-hmm. You cannot get blackberries, fresh blackberries, in Salem right now. They're not in season. Right. Now, you can get blackberries, but who knows where they came from or how long they were frozen or whatever. But to Dean's point, local, fresh, in season. Yeah. Um, another one that she has, I love this one. It is grown in an – and you're going to like this one, Dean. It is grown in an ecologically diverse environment – which maintains the health of the ecosystem and thus the nutritional content of the foods, which is a very long sentence to say it comes from good dirt. Yes. Yeah, and every week just about we have a culinary school come out with anywhere from 6 to 20 kids, and I give them a tour of our uh, regenerative farm and go through the proteins that we produce and also the vegetables and the fruits that we produce and why they taste better and why they're more nutritious and try to teach these culinary students um, something about how to choose food if they want to make an um, impact in their patrons' um, health and their patrons' delight in the food that they're preparing because if you start with delicious food, it's not as hard to make it a really good dish right. to charge for. So anyways, those students get to learn about the ecological way we farm. So it's, I, 
one of the things I like to show them is what happened this last summer. We had a huge infestation of um, cucumber beetles and squash bugs, and, and, but I refused to even spray anything organic spray on there because organic spray, even though you can drink the stuff and it doesn't hurt you as a person, you still are killing the good bugs and the bad bugs, and I just let them be. And I over-irrigated a few spots um, during the summer, and all of a sudden the frog and the toad population exploded. And, the, and so all of a sudden the frogs and the toads cut all the bug population down significantly. And so all of a sudden now I have um, a perfect ecological control of a huge bug problem I was having in my garden that was causing production issues. I wish you could uh, see so, the shocked look on Amanda's face right now. So <laughs> clever. How perfect. So it was – and that was just one aspect. We had, you know – we barn swallows and then we had um we put the chickens in for 24 hours to clean up reduce the population of bad bugs really quickly when they got overwhelming and then we take them back out of the garden there's just all kinds of ecological things you can do but the main thing is what you want to do is develop such a diverse population of vegetables and food and hedges and flowers and trees all in your vegetable garden even though we're doing it for production we are a market garden and our whole thing is to create a profit not just a beautiful space but we can do that ecologically and therefore huge population of beneficial bugs swelled during the summer and so by the end of this gardening season i didn't have any bug problem all i had was really good bugs i mean there's assassin beetles and there was um you know um uh, oh gosh, ladybugs! There was just tons of huge uh, populations of uh, predatory insects uh, killing all the bad ones, and so the balance of the ecosystem is so important. But as soon as you spray, you send the balance off. And I mean, I would love to get really into all of that in deeply, but I don't know if we have time. So, well, it does sound like we have to have a future episode where Dean talks about bugs. Well, bugs and just the ecology of how to produce yeah. uh, an environment that is not only good for healthy soil, healthy food, profitable nutrition without inputs, but also is great for the environment and the ecology and the diversity of wildlife in both microorganisms to um, macroorganisms yeah. and to well, I just I want to reread this sentence because you know you you had a great uh, you you visualized for us verbally picture paint a picture of an ecologically diverse environment with what you did with the bugs and and more water to get more frogs, but what Dr. Lee says is it meaning the food that you're eating it is grown in an ecologically diverse environment which maintains the health of the ecosystem, which you did. You maintained the health of the ecosystem and thus the nutritional content of the food. Mm -hmm. And everything she said, you you did last summer in an effort to combat this beetle infestation. Yes. yes. And I just want to, I want to way, go way back to, to, to be able to produce this ecological system, though. You have to start out right. And so I'm just going to go through how we murdered the soil because, again, the soil is so important. We murdered the soil by 
tilling it or plowing it. And as soon as we plow it, because each micro um, millimeter of layer has a different amount of oxygen in it, it's just like taking a fish out of water and putting it in the air. Fish breathes water. It just, I mean, breathes oxygen. It just does a lot less of it when it's in the water. When it comes out, there's too much oxygen. Same with all the microorganisms in the soil. If you till them up, if you plow it up, you're mixing up all those uh, microorganisms. All of a sudden, you don't have the same layer of oxygen within the soil, a lot at the top, less as you go deeper. And so they all die um, when you till or plow it. But if you haven't been able to kill them all, when you plow, the first thing that your garden will do is produce a weed. And as soon as weeds start coming up, the first thing you do is get out the herbicide and spray herbicide on there while you're trying to grow your plants. And so you put herbicide on there, which kills more of the beneficial organisms like the fungi and some of the more um, uh, microorganisms like that. As soon as you do that, then all of a sudden the nutrient cycling gets less, and so um, your plants are not as healthy. So when the plants aren't as healthy, the pests arrive and the pests start to eating. So you have to rip out the pesticides to spray all the bugs to, that are starting to eat your plants. And when you spray pesticides, then you kill more of the microorganisms that live within your soil. And so therefore you're depleting all the nutrient cycling even more. You're depleting all the uh, bioavailability of minerals. And therefore your brick score and your nutrient density continues to go down. And so by this time, nothing will grow unless you fertilize it. So you get out the NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium um, bag of fertilizer, and you spread it on there. What, what all commercial fertilizer does is acidify your soil. So if you haven't been able to completely destroy the life of your soil by doing the other three things, you will finish the job by fertilizing. And then now you have dirt instead of soil, and then you, now your dirt will be 100% dependent on you, and you will never be able to grow anything without doing all the things we just did, till, spray, pesticides and herbicides, and fertilize, because you have now made your, it into dirt rather than soil. Well, now we know what regenerative farming is all about. That, right. that was a really amazing description, Dean. Of I love know. his passion. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I sit here and look at the fields outside Salem, and they go along and they, they till the dirt. I mean, I, I grew up in eastern Oregon. I, I grew up around farmland. I watched that happen all the time. But for you to describe what happens in that process mm-hmm. was really intriguing. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that Dean and I had talked about doing, we've got a couple minutes left here. I do want to get to a, a story, but I wanted Dean to, to back engineer for the listeners how it starts with the dirt for us to have healthy bodies. Yeah. And I think that it starts with the, the tilling process and everything that Dean just said. Oh, yeah. So if we want a healthy body, we need healthy food or healthy animals and healthy animals need healthy food. And, Dean, thank you so much mm-hmm. for just laying out this an amazing back engineering of why we aren't healthy because the dirt's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Great job, Dean. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. That, so that's what not to do. Um, what is to do is to promote everything um, in a diverse sort of way and to promote photosynthesis. Because th- what's amazing is that all soil should get more and more fertile and more and more nutrient-dense itself as you continue to grow things in it rather than less and less. So, so many people, they go, well, I planted this in there, so now i got to fertilize because these plants used up all that fertilizer. But if you are properly taking care of your soil, no matter what you're growing in it, it should get healthier and healthier as time goes on rather than less healthy. And there's a lot of principles to follow doing that, but for a for basically a gardener to understand is you want a diversity of plants. So I plant, like this summer when it got hot, I was planting my, uh, well, I guess more like 
late spring, early summer, I was planting my radishes underneath my sunflowers because my sunflowers could shade the radishes. It doesn't like a lot of sunlight. Well, it doesn't like a lot of heat. doesn't mind the sunlight. But and so, and then that gives me diversity of roots. And then when one plant is going away, the spinach is getting done. I'll plant little tiny pumpkin starts within the spinach patch while the spinach is still being harvested for the next two weeks. I already have pumpkins starting to grow. And so that's where I get, I keep a diversity of uh, roots within the soil. So then the soil is healthy all the time. The key is if you can absorb the energy of the sun and put that energy into the soil, which is basically carbon, because what photosynthesis is, is carbon sequenciation. You take chlorophyll, which is in the green plant, sunlight and water and carbon dioxide from the atmosphere through photosynthesis creates carbon, which is glucose, to say sugar. And it, then when the plant gets to a certain height, it is producing more sugar than is required for growth. So then it begins to store it in its roots. The interesting thing is that all microorganisms within the soil love carbon. So all they want to do is live on carbon. The more the plant dumps carbon into the soil, the more the microorganisms grow. The more the microorganisms grow, the more nutrient cycling occurs, and therefore more nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and all the micronutrients become available to the plant. And so you, you, as long as you are keeping something green and growing and healthy on your soil at all times, you will be feeding the microorganisms, which therefore will feed your plants, and you'll never have to have the issues we've just talked about, and therefore the spray bottle can stay in the garage. Well, one of the hardest things for me to do right now is actually cut you off. We're oh, right, no! We're right out of time, Dean, but if um, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, just uh, email Amanda at... Amanda at kslm.news. And we'll make sure that some of these listeners can touch base with you. I do want, in our last little bit here, I do want to let people know that we are officially into November. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Yes. Anyone that comes into our store, 3737 Cherry Avenue, I'll take $10 off a white t-shirt, Lung Cancer's White. Awesome. Save $10 during November for Lung Cancer Awareness. Awesome. All right. And our sponsor for this half is Marianne McNally, who is a residential real estate specialist with Next Home Realty Connection. So give her a call if you have any questions on buying a home or selling a home at 503-409-4389. And we'll be back next week as as the the movement movement continues. continues.